I hope you will uh, indulge me a little bit this morning. If you know me, you, uh, you know that I, I like board games. And uh, there are some in here that I know like board games, and some in here that probably would be happy to never see a board game ever again in their life, probably because you've played Monopoly, which I'm sorry, you know, that's, that's like the bane of the board game world existence. We, we, uh, we mock it every chance that we get on the Facebook groups and things. Yes, I'm, I'm that weird. I'm part of a board game Facebook group. But hopefully you'll indulge me just for a minute this morning um, by way of example. Um, how many of you have ever heard of or played the game Risk? Raise your hands, all right? Played the game Risk. What's the goal of Risk? To conquer the world, right? To, to take chances, to risk everything, right? And to conquer the world, that's the goal of the game. How long does a game of Risk usually take? Very long, right? Hours usually, especially... Um, if you are going to play it all the way to the end when you've got one person that's hiding all the way in Australia and they just won't leave and you've got to keep attacking them and attacking them and attacking them until finally you, you crush their spirit and they either give up or eight hours later you finally won the game and nobody likes Risk anymore. So we, uh, we do have the game of Risk and we've played it a few times and I've crushed my children and broken their spirits I think Ethan might have Ethan might have won the regular game Risk one time, but one day um, I was in uh, one of these uh, uh, what do they call them stores where you buy things for less than you would normally would because they're used. Not a pawn shop, thrift store. There we go, thrift store. Wow, <laughs> I need more coffee. <laughs> thrift store. I was in a thrift store and. Usually when I'm in thrift store, I go over to the games because one of the cool things about the uh, Facebook game groups is somebody's always listing some cool game they found at the thrift store. And they usually get it for like two bucks. And it's like a $50 game that you can buy still for like $50. And they get it for two bucks. And it's like, oh man, that's so cool. Well, I was looking through all the puzzles and all the, the you know, guess this movie scene uh games and Pictionary and all these other things that I'm like, I don't want any of that stuff. I want good games. I want cool games. And I'm going through and all of a sudden I see Risk. But it's a little bit different version of Risk. And it was a $60 game, still today, retail, $50. I got it for $3.99. I was like, yes. Took a picture, posted it on the Facebook group, got a bunch of thumbs up. It was awesome. Um, but this is a little bit different risk. This is risk. Anybody read that? Risk Legacy. What in the world is that? <laughs> well, Risk Legacy is a little bit of a different game. It's based on risk. Um, I'm not going to put this up here. That might be sacrilegious. I'll put it back over here. Um, it's based on the game of risk. It is the game of risk, but... In Risk Legacy, the idea is you play the game over 15 times. And you're like, why in the world would I play Risk 15 times? Well, don't worry. It has a much quicker way of ending the game than the normal Risk is. Um, and I won't go into all the details. But basically, the idea is as you're going throughout these games, certain things will happen over time. And after each game, certain things happen. You have the opportunity to make changes to the game. 
You have an opportunity to add stickers to the board that you can't take off unless you want to rip, ruin the board. You know, you have opportunities, and, and on the stickers, you can usually, like, name something. So you can imagine in my household some of the names, you know, that uh, Ethan and AJ came up with, you know, like AJ City or AJ City or, you know, I think AJ had, like, four cities named after himself, you know. He, <laughs> He's, he's, he's into like Cain. Um, but uh, so we, all these different things, you can change the cards of the game. But basically, there's even uh, opportunities you go through and do things like if somebody gets eliminated, there's a secret pack that you can open up. I'm getting excited. And, uh, and inside there is a new faction or a new set of cards or new things that change the game, even rules. There are blank spots in the rule book that you open up these things and you can change the rules of the game. And so the idea is over the course of these 15 games, you're, what, the actions that you're performing, the decisions that you're making are leaving a legacy for those who are going to play the game in the future. And after about 15 games, typically you've used up all the extra fun stuff and you're so sick and tired of playing it, you probably won't play it ever again. But if you want to, you can because it's still a game. But the game is different now from when it originally started. Because over time, it has changed. It's been marked. It's been uh, altered so that it's, it's different. And there's been a legacy that has been left by the people who have played the game. And in fact, legacy games is now kind of a new category of board games. It's, it's like, oh, that's really cool. And so people have created all these other games that are legacy games to, to uh, kind of jump in the genre and basically make money. But the idea is there is that you, as you are playing the game, are leaving a legacy for those who are coming behind to play again. It's going to be a different game than what they expect, a different game maybe than what, they, than what they're used to. As we look at this text this morning, you're like, what in the world does a board game have to do with Cain? <laughs> but as we look at this text this morning, I want to see two legacies. And honestly, we'll spend most of the time on one of them uh, because the other one really kind of goes more into chapter five and I don't want to jump into Eric's uh, territory there. But we're going to see two legacies that are being built this morning. One by Cain and, of course, the other one by Seth and, and his uh, descendants. And as we look at these legacies, I want us to not just look down at Cain and see what a terrible legacy he's left, because, I mean, we all know the story, right? We, we, we talked about last week four consequences of, of an unrepentant spirit. And this really is kind of like the fifth consequence. It's like, it's almost, other than death, it's almost the ultimate consequence for an unrepentant spirit. And that is this legacy. We're going to look at two legacies this morning. The legacies are a legacy of godlessness and a legacy of godliness. All right? Don't mix those up. Legacy of godlessness and a legacy of of godliness. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4. We'll read through the whole passage and then we'll circle back to the beginning, um, starting in verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Excuse me. And when he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Ered, and Ered fathered Mahujel, Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, 
in the name of the other Zillah, Adab or Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for, my, for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. If you notice, I started there, um, kind of uh, backed up a verse. <clears throat> I did that last week too. <laughs> backed up a verse in verse 16, because I, I, want, to, I want to clarify something. Um, and, and I think this will help us maybe going forward as we look at uh, scriptures, especially Hebrew and, and Hebrew words. Um, last week we talked about the fact that, that Cain left the presence of God and he moved to the land of Nod. And of course, I think I mentioned last week, obviously it wasn't called Nod at the time. Um, it was just the land east of Eden, really, when he was going there. Um, but it, as, as I read that and as I, as I thought about that again this week, I wanted to just briefly, very briefly, take a moment and kind of dive into that word really quickly. Because uh, this word nod is, uh, is not just a, a name of a place. It's not just like saying, I'm going to go over to Liberty, right? It's not just this place that, that, uh, like, like that we would normally think of. Uh, and the Hebrew language is, is really interesting. It doesn't have capitalized words. The Hebrew language doesn't have capitalized words. So it's not like the English language where we can go through and say, oh, this word's capitalized. It's obviously a, a, a place or a name of something, you know, it's something that's a, a, person, a, a, pro, a um, proper noun. Thank you. I wasn't getting there. Proper noun. Right, it's it's something that that is that we name. Right, it's a city, it's a place, it's a thing. It's not just a common noun, but it's a proper noun. Right, and so, but Hebrew doesn't have that. And as you're reading in Hebrew, as I want to do, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, as you as you read through Hebrew, um, there are specific things about the structure, the grammatical structure, that help us understand that something is a proper noun versus a common noun. Now, I'm not going to go into what they are because that would probably bore you. But even with that being said, there are times that it's still not a proper noun, even when it falls into some of those same uh, grammatical structures. But it's interesting, the word nod here is a transliteration. What's a transliteration? I think I've mentioned this before. Anybody know? Transliteration is when we take similar sounding letters from our alphabet to reconstruct the word from another language, right? So we would look at the word nod in Hebrew, and we would say, okay, what's the n sound? It's in, ah, a, h, no, I'm gonna go with o, and then d, d, right? That's transliterating, all right? That's not translating, it's transliterating. 
So we're taking the literal sound and translating that into our alphabet. It's kind of the idea there, transliteration. So the word nod is transliterated because it meets that grammatical structure. We read it as nod, capital N-O-D. But it's interesting. Do you know what the, the actual translation of the word nod is? Because it has a translation. Wondering. 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 Why is this important, David? <laughs> I'll tell you why it's important. Because here we come to these next phrases here in chapter 4. In verse 17, he says, Cain knew his wife, and he conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And it would be really easy to kind of go straight from the, the conversation with God and the fact that Cain is driven out and, and to say, well, you know, maybe it doesn't look like God's uh, punishment actually came true. Because here we have Cain leaving the presence of God. And the next thing that we see about him is, is that they're, they're having children and he's building a city. Building a city doesn't sound like wandering around. And so it'd be easy to sit there and say, man, well, you know, God's punishment surely didn't, didn't come out the way that he expected that time. But when you look at the actual word and what it means, you understand what happened here. See, it's saying that, that Cain and his wife and his family went out from the presence of the Lord to the land of wandering. Where do you think it got that name? He got that name from what he was doing. This land that was east of Eden was a place where he and his family wandered. Now, we don't know how long. The Bible doesn't tell us because eventually at some point they did settle down and build a city. They established roots. But this land was known as Nod, as the land of wandering because that's what he did. And so why is it important? It's important to dig into those things and understand what's being said because otherwise we, may, we might come away with an incorrect understanding of what's going on in the passage. And uh, I'm doing this to lay a groundwork for two weeks from now, all right? So the land of Nod is the land of wandering. So the, what God said would happen surely did happen. And I think it's interesting, um, you know, during this time of wandering, we see Cain kind of following the natural progression of life. He and his wife have a, have a son. They call his name uh, Enoch, right? This is not the Enoch that's going to be in chapter 5 on, on the good side. This is Enoch uh, from Cain. And so we see him having children, but we see that he's building this, not only his family, but he's eventually building a city. And this word city is also interesting <clears throat> because, again, we might get kind of a bad idea of what's going on here if we don't understand the context and the, and the words, the translations of these words. The word city here is, is not like a metropolitan area that we think about today. The word city has the idea of a fortified or watched place. All right, now this makes sense because a lot of times in, in the Bible, I mean, you, you talk about a city, you're going to talk about something that has walls, that has, you know, protection, that was a very, that's very common to us when we think about biblical cities. But that's what the word means. It means a fortified place, a fortified residence. So they, this could have been something as simple as a, a small town that had a watchman 
It could have been something bigger, like a, a city with walls. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it looked like. But it's interesting what it says about that. This is a, this is a place where they had watchmen. In fact, that word city comes from a root word to watch. And so they had people watching, standing guard. That's the idea here. What did God say to him? He would be a what? A fugitive, right? What was his fear? His fear was that somebody was going to come and they were going to kill him because of what he had done to Seth, right? And what, is, what do we see him doing? He's building a city. He's building a fortification. He's looking to protect himself. Why? Because he's afraid. After all these years, he's still afraid. He still fears retribution from those on the, on the other side of Eden. And it's just interesting. Everything that God said would happen, happened. He was a wanderer. They named the, 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 land, the land of wandering after that. He built a city to protect himself because he was a fugitive. He wanted to be safe from those that would come after him. But these first few verses um, not only help us understand that, that God's promise to Cain came true, but also it just kind of goes through a few, a few people here. It's almost like it's, it's almost unimportant. In fact, there's not really a whole lot given to us about Cain's descendants, really, until we get to this man named Lamech. And it's interesting, there's not much after Lamech. Once we get to Lamech, it's like, we're done with this, and we're going back over to the line of Seth. Now, why is that? Why is it that God went, all right, that's enough of Cain's information, let's go talk about Seth's information? Any idea? What? Right? But where, where is the line of Christ from? Is it from the line of Cain? It's from the line of Seth, right? Who is the Bible about? It's about Jesus Christ. The Bible is the revelation of God to his creation. And it's the revelation of his redemptive plan. So it makes perfect sense that God would spend very little time on Cain's genealogy. But I think it's important that we look at the time that he did spend on it. So let's look. He, he goes through several generations here. He says, Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, Methushael fathered Lamech. So we just kind of get through this natural progression as we see that the, the people of Cain if I can call them that, are, are expanding, they're growing, they're having children, they're going through the natural um, processes of life. Um, it, it just, it's obvious to, to assume that, that just like we assume with the children of Adam and Eve, the children of Cain uh, were having multiple children, more than just the ones that are listed here. I mean, it's hard to, hard to build a city with four or five, six people, Right? Um, there's, there's probably probably quite a few people here. Um, in fact, um, if you look at the uh, if you look at chapter five and you just kind of look at the way things happen, most of these men who were born were born 65 years or later in their father's life. 
Um, so I just think it's interesting if you kind of go through and calculate, let's just say everybody was born at 50 years, that's mentioned here about Cain, you're talking about 250, 300, maybe even up to 600 years of time that's going on in just these two verses, talking about these people who are being born. All right, and that's just a, that's just a guess based off of the example given in chapter 5. Uh, don't write that down as doctrine. All right, that's just my, my guess. But I'm thinking 250 to maybe 600 years, potentially, that people have been going on and, and, and having children and raising children. That's, that could be a lot of kids. That could be a lot of people. So much so that they've fortified a city. So this morning, we're going to look at Lamech. Mostly because that's where the, the passage spends its time. And Lamech here is a descendant of Cain. And as we look at the things that Lamech does and the words that Lamech says, we're going to see a man who reveals to us the legacy of godlessness. A legacy of godlessness. There's nothing mentioned in this passage of any of Cain's descendants seeking after God, worshiping God, having any fellowship or communion with God. From, from all we can tell, Cain lived a godless existence when he was pushed away, and he passed that along to his children and his grandchildren, and so on, all the way down to Lamech. So this morning we're going to start with this legacy of godlessness. Lamech is the embodiment of godlessness from Cain's line, and he's just a glimpse of what the world will become in the coming chapters. If you're thinking ahead, you know what's going to happen in just a couple of chapters. Lamech is just the tip of the iceberg. He's just kind of a, a, a quick glimpse into what's going on in the greater part of the legacy of godlessness of Cain. The first thing we see about Lamech here <clears throat> is that he's noted for having two wives. What does it say? In verse 19, and Lamech took two wives. This is the first mention in Scripture of polygamy. This is the first time we see it uh, mentioned in the book of Genesis. Obviously, we know that uh, this is Cain's descendant. He's taking another step in the steady slope of sin. If you've read the Scriptures, you'll know that Genesis is going to talk about even men in the line of Christ who have had this sin. Right? There are men in the line of Jesus who also were polygamous. Several of them. And, um, and so you might, you might sit there and think, you know, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It doesn't seem like God really had a whole lot of judgment on, on these guys when they did it later on. So wh why is this such a big deal that Lamech took two wives? Well, first of all, it's the first time it's mentioned. This seems to have been something that even, <clears throat> even on Cain's side wasn't done yet. This was something that apparently was, was kind of new territory. And Lamech uh, breaks into that new territory by taking two wives. And basically what he's doing is he's, he's following the natural progression of sin, the world, and the flesh, and the devil. He's following the natural progression because what do those things do with God's truth? They twist it, right? They dirty it. They make it just slightly off. And here we have Lamech taking what God had designed at the beginning of the world and twisting it 
for his own pleasure. He says, I want two wives. God made it clear in chapter 2 of Genesis that marriage is between one man and one woman. Verse 24 of chapter 2 says, says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. This was God's design made clear in creation and by decree in the garden. Yet Lamech, the product of a godless legacy, seeks to pervert the perfect design for his own pleasure. Just as the unrepentant heart leads us to great more and more sin, I almost said greater, just as the unrepentant heart leads us to more and more sin, so a legacy of godliness leads to more and more sin in the lives of our descendants. Just think about this. Those of you who are parents, have you ever noticed some tendencies of your children that seem really familiar? And, and typically we seem to no, we've noticed the bad ones, right? Why? Why is that? Because everything we do, everything we say is creating a legacy. They're picking up everything that we say, everything that we do. And the question is, are we leaving a legacy of godlessness or a legacy of godliness? Oh, but, but I go to church every week. I'm here every week in these wonderful blue chairs, right? Yeah, but how's your home life? How's your work life? What kind of legacy are you leaving at work? The legacy of Cain was a legacy of godlessness, and we see here as, as Lamech is taking it another step further by perverting marriage itself. He has these two wives. And then Scripture kind of goes into detail about the sons that he had from these two wives. Let's take a look at those very quickly. It says uh, in verse 20, Ada bore Jabal. He is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. These are the first cowboys. All right. Now, this is, this is something that's very familiar in the book of Genesis. We have people all throughout the book of Genesis, Noah, I mean, not Noah, Moses, I'm sorry, Abraham, man. Let me get some coffee, hang on. Read your notes, David. <clears throat> Abraham was a nomad, right? He dwelt in tents, he had livestock, all right? This was, uh, this was something that was began by Cain's descendants, all right? What's the other one? The next one is uh, Jubal, in verse 21. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. All right, what is that? Musicians, right? Musical instruments. Anybody here play the lyre or the pipe? No? Anybody play like the recorder? Maybe you, you got the recorder? All right, that that's, might have been something similar to a pipe, right? So, so these guys were musicians, okay? And we see music as a very integral part of the, of the book of Genesis as well, as, as well as all of humanity. And what's the third one? We've got to go from the other wife. What's his name? Tubal Cain. He was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Now, this instrument is not like the playing instrument. These are tools, right? He's a, he's a forger. He's a blacksmith. So we've got cowboys, musicians, and blacksmiths right here in the book of Genesis. Right? So we've got these, these guys who are, who are creating things, 
that we see all throughout the rest of not just Genesis, but the rest of Scripture and the rest of human history. They are the fathers of these things. And why would God tell us about these guys? After all, they're the descendants of Cain. They're, they're people who don't worship God. And, and, and in fact, why would God give them, you know, glory, so to speak, for, for coming up with these processes? I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you what I think. Because, you know, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think there are two reasons. First, um, we're reminded by reading this that we cannot overgeneralize the actions of those who do not follow after God as sinful. Think about that. We cannot overgeneralize the actions of those who do not follow God as sinful. Now, obviously, Scripture tells us that all of our righteousness, that means everything even good that we do outside of Christ is what? Filthy wrecks, all right? What I'm not saying is that they're good people. What I am saying is that they contributed to the human race in ways that benefited the human race, despite the fact that they were sinners. And I know it's easy for us, I think, a lot of times to look at things. And in fact, if you look at this passage poorly, you can come away with some pretty bad ideas, like music is sinful. Just get rid of it. You know, which that shouldn't be a part of worship because that's, that's Cain's descendants. They came up with that. So we got to get rid of that. You know, cowboys are sinful. Can't be living out in tents taking care of cattle, right? That's, that's not good. Abraham, man, what in the world was he thinking? That's, that's the descendants of Cain. They came up with that stuff, you know. We shouldn't have all these forged items, these metal works. That's wrong because that's sinful because that came from the... no. I think one of the reasons God puts this in here is to help us understand you can't just take everything that a sinful person does and call it sin. And I think Ephesians 2 is a good reminder of that because such were some of you. you know, and we still, we live in a day, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I've heard things like that preached. I've heard things like that preached. That because someone who doesn't believe in God or follow after God is doing something that's automatically sin. I think we need to be mindful of the fact that, see, you know what? Sometimes they're just things that are part of human life. There are things that are part of human society. I think that's one of the reasons why God put that in here. Second, I think it kind of opens up maybe a little bit of an insight into what's about to happen next. Because you read through this passage and all of a sudden you get to this next section that, that Lamech comes in with this big boasting. It's almost like, whoa. Where did that come from? You know, that's just like, boom, crazy. But if you think about this, we have Lamech, who's the father of three sons that we, that we know about. And all three of these sons have done something pretty, pretty uh, helpful to all of humanity. They've created a nomadic livestock taking care of life. They've created music and musical instruments and, and the ability to play them. And they've created these, this forging capability to create ironworks. What is it? Brass and iron, I think it says. And so they've, they've done these things that have helped out humanity. And I think to me, it makes sense that Lamech 
you know, might have maybe rode on the shoulders of his sons a little bit. You know, he's got these three sons and they are doing these great things, man. People probably like them. You know, they brought, they brought music, they brought ironworks, they brought um, this, this livestock into, into their lifestyle. And I think that one of the reasons why this is in there is to help us understand that, you know, Lamech probably was viewed pretty well in society because he had fathered these three sons who had done these great things. And so I can imagine Lamech was probably a pretty proud person. He probably was type, that type of person that said, yeah, see those boys? They're mine. They came from me. They're my sons. Aren't they great? Yeah, that's, that's my boys. And when you think about a man who is that proud, I think it's much easier to see what happens next. What does he say? He comes in and he says, in verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Now he's calling out to them. He's saying, pay attention. Look at me. I've got something important to say. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he was saying it in a threatening way. I don't know. Based on what, he was, what he's about to boast about, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a threat. Hey, you better listen up. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. But he's certainly getting their attention, right? He's saying, listen up. Listen to me. Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. And what does he say? I have killed a man for wounding me. I have killed a man for wounding me. He walks into wherever he is, whether it's in the city, whether it's in a tent, we don't know. And he says, wives, listen up. I just killed a man. I just killed a man. This is the first murder that we know about since Cain killed Abel. I have killed a man. Why? For wounding me. My guess is it probably wasn't that big of a wound if he's walking in there boasting about having killed this guy. What's the next phrase? A young man for striking me. A young man for striking me. The word here can also be translated a child. Now, it's not perfectly clear if this is two people or if this is the same person. Uh, whether the, the man is, is in reference to him being part of humanity and it was just one person and it was a child or a young man. Uh, or if it was two men. One man, full grown, and one child. We don't know. It's not perfectly clear. In fact, different translations translate it differently. Some give kind of just a pause here like we have in the ESV. Some actually say, and a young man. But what we do know is he certainly killed a young man. Either way. And here is Lamech, the prodigy of a godless legacy walking into his family and boasting, I have killed a young man for striking me. What kind of a man is that? I have killed a young man for striking me. This is not Cain who slew his brother most likely in secret, possibly hid the body, tried to run away from it, tried to ignore it when God 
came to him and said, who, who, am I my brother's keeper? I don't, I don't know where he is. This isn't Cain. This is Lamech. He's not hiding it. He's not trying to ignore it. He's boasting about it. Look at the progression of sin in this legacy of godlessness. He says, I am boasting. Not only is he boasting, what does he say next? He's not just boasting about what he's done, but he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Now, what is he talking about here? He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, what is that? What's Cain's revenge? Anybody? He killed his brother. Right. Yeah. So when, when God put the mark on Cain, he said, if anybody kills you, they will, be, they will be recompensed basically sevenfold for their murder of you. Right? That was God's proclamation on Cain. Lamech is not proclaiming God said anything here, did he? What's he saying? He's saying, look, if Cain's, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, guess what? Lamech's revenge... His is 70 times sevenfold. What's he saying? Bring it on. Bring it on. You think you're going to take me down? Let's go. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Bring it. Is that not the height of pride and arrogance? the height of sinfulness, the height of godlessness. Lamech. This is the legacy of godlessness. In many ways, it looks normal. Right? In many ways, it looks normal. They were having children. Generations were going by. They were doing great things technology-wise. Everything's great. Everything looks normal. With earthly good and earthly success, however, it always produces more and more sinful lifestyles. That's a legacy of godlessness. Let's look quickly at the legacy of godliness. Verse 25, And Abraham knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, For she said, what? God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. How does Seth's life begin? Much like Cain's life began, actually, if you remember. How does his life begin? It begins with Eve praising God for providing a replacement for Abel. And really a replacement for Cain as well. She's praising God for this replacement of Seth. Seth was born into a family that worshipped God. He was born into a family that had a relationship with God. Were they perfect? No. These are the same two people that got kicked out of the garden. These are the same two people that brought death and, and destruction upon all of humanity. No, they weren't perfect, but they understood who God was. And they worshipped him. And they followed him. This is the environment that Seth grew up in. To Seth, also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. 
At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This phrase has the idea of a more intimate relationship than we've seen so far outside the Garden of Eden. When we look at the beginning of this chapter, we see Cain and Abel coming before God to worship him. Yes, we see a heart of worship that is in Abel and the heart of of, uh, of a lack of worship that is in Cain. We see that there's a difference there in how they came, but it seems to be kind of more of a, a traditional thing, right? It's more of a, hey, you know, we need to come and do this. This is just part of what we do. It's a ritual. And I don't know that they necessarily just thought of it as a ritual based on the way that Cain presented his offering to the Lord, but it, was, it seems to be a very, uh, a much more a, a stipulated thing. But here we have this phrase, this time men began to call upon the name of the Lord. There's an idea here of a closer, more intimate relationship with God. Something that looks a little bit closer to what we see in the garden of God communing with man. Something that's a little bit closer, not, not perfect, of course, because of sin, but something where these men now began to follow after, to seek after, to communicate with. God. There was a desire for a relationship with their creator. And that is the legacy that we have really of Adam through Seth. And as we'll see probably next week through the rest of Seth's line. A legacy of godliness. This morning, take a look at your life. Not just sitting here in the pew, paying attention and listening and nodding your head. But when you leave this room, when you go home, in your, in your daily life with your family, parents, what kind of legacy are you leaving for your children to follow? What are the marks on the board of their life that you are leaving behind? When you're at work, what's the legacy that you're leaving there? In my job, the, the average time spent at, at, a, at an employer in my type of job is about two years. That's just, it's just a, a churn. <laughs> so it's rare to be there longer than that. But for those two years, what kind of legacy am I leaving? When you go to your work, what kind of legacy are you leaving? Is it just a guy that shows up and does his job? Or is it a guy that impacts people for Christ? Is it a woman who impacts people for Christ? What kind of legacy are you leaving? Children, what kind of legacy are you leaving? I'm not old. I don't have to worry about legacies. Yeah, it starts when you're a kid. What kind of decisions are you making now that maybe your younger brothers and sisters will see and follow after? Because they do. I can tell you just from my own household, the little ones follow the older ones. They pick up the same attitudes. They pick up the same responses. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Are you leaving a legacy of godlessness? Godlessness is not just a legacy of being overtly sinful. It's exactly what it says. It's a legacy of godless. Little to no mention of God. Is that what your legacy is? 
Or is your legacy a legacy of godliness? A lifestyle that is lived, words that are spoken in a way that bring people to him. What's your legacy? Cain left a legacy of godlessness. And we see Lamech as the embodiment of what that brings. And we're going to see it even worse in chapter 6. To the point where God's going to destroy the entire world because of the godlessness of mankind. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Father, we thank you for Cain. Even though he did horrific things, we, we know that there's a purpose for leaving him there. And that is so that we can learn from his mistakes. And Lord, we thank you that even, even through all the things that he did, you did not waver. You did not have any problem with what happened in, in essence of your, your plan because you provided a new child through whom your son would come. Your plan was not thwarted because of the sin of man. And we thank you that you are supreme and you are in control and that there's nothing that goes on in this world that, that is outside of, of your plan. And Lord, we thank you that we can trust in that. We thank you this morning that we can come today 2,000 years after that plan came to a, a tipping point. When Christ came to earth to die for us, to fulfill the promise that he made in the garden to Eve that there would be a child of hers who would crush the serpent's head. Lord, we think of that this morning. We think of the anguish and the pain and the suffering that you went through to bring us life. Not because it's anything that we could do, but only because of your grace. And we praise you for that and we thank you for that. And as we come to you this morning to remember, as you've called us to do through this communion time, I pray that you would open our eyes to sin that may be lingering, that needs to be confessed, that we would not take of the, the bread and the cup unworthily. I pray that even as this song is played, we would take time to converse with you, take time to make things right with other people if need be, that we would come to you with pure hearts so that we would remember who you are and what you've done for us in a way that glorifies you. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.